1: On Headstrong, we are very pleased and proud to be partnered with the CBD brand, The Good Level. Now, I've been taking CBD for about 18 months to maintain my mental well being, but it's been very difficult to find a brand that I can trust because there's so many faceless foreign brands out there and you're not sure what you're buying or how it's sourced. Luckily, I found two guys, Joe and Johnny, who have created this wonderful brand called the good level. What's so great about these guys is that they support British farming. Many brands import their CBD from America, but the good level say they don't rely on the methods by farmers that they've never met, nor the farms that they've never seen. They have a really close relationship with their farmers who are in Somerset, meaning they know how their product is produced from start to finish. They're the first CBD company i found who put a face on the brand and they're transparent with the whole process of how they create their products. And they've even got their own podcast where they look at the latest research on CBD. To check them out, go to their Instagram at the.good.level and drop them a message if you want to find out more about CBD. And for 15% off their products, use Headstrong15 on their website for checkout. rolling. We are back. It's season 6 and it is great to be back. You're listening with me, Louis Strong, and this is Headstrong, a podcast where I sit down with a variety of individuals in the public eye to talk to them about their lives and their careers, but notably their vulnerabilities, to understand what it means to them to be headstrong. And to me, it means to believe in yourself to talk about your vulnerabilities and reinforce your self-worth. Yes, I am delighted as well to announce that I have a seasoned sponsor, The Good Level. They are a magnificent British-based CBD company, and I can thoroughly recommend checking them out. You'll hear some information about them throughout this series in every single podcast. Now, I needed to start series six with a bang, and I was pushing some names around in my head and then my assistant Ruin came to me with the great suggestion of this guest. Daisy is a wonderful radio DJ, however she also suffers from insomnia and has suffered for a long period of her life. We sat down and had a chat about her experiences with insomnia, her coping mechanisms and how it's affected her and her life. Furthermore, we also talked about her identity and how social media has impacted her life. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Daisy's documentary is coming out on the BBC very soon. I hope you enjoy this episode. Daisy, thank you very much for joining me on Headstrong.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. It's so amazing to be chatting to you.
1: Fabulous. Now, I kick I'm kicking off season six in the same way with every guest by just checking in with them and actually asking how they're feeling and how they're doing. So how are you doing?
2: I feel like it's so easy to just say yeah I'm doing fine I'm doing good um because I guess that's what we've always been taught to say when asked that sort of question but it's nice that you've like, asked it um and I feel like I can be as transparent as as I possibly can I am actually really good at the minute I'm also a little bit stressed at the moment I'll be honest with you because um I'm moving house at the moment I'm actually buying my first place and it was going really really well at the start of it and I know I've I've read many articles and I've had many experiences being passed on to me from friends and family saying it is one of the most stressful times in your life um that and then welcoming a new baby um and I was like no this is easy I'm doing great at this I don't know what all the fuss is about and then the past couple of weeks have been an absolute nightmare <laughs> so I'm like a little bit stressed but we're almost at the end of it um, and it, it'll all pay off in the end
1: well at least you didn't do both of those two stressful things at the same time
2: <laughs> can you imagine no, absolutely not <laughs> um, so i take my hat off to anyone that has moved whilst having a baby or with young kids because yeah it's just just one one at once please it's it's too much to handle
1: yeah completely and now do you know previously i have had your colleague and pal tyler west on the podcast um and we had a good old natter earlier on in the year but for those of uh those listening who don't know uh the rogue headstrong listener in there who are listening to this um you host the kiss fresh breakfast show eight till 11 monday to friday
2: yes monday to friday five days a week
1: now i'm intrigued to ask you this do you cross over with your colleagues who do different times on the show or is it kind of like an in and out and you're looking through the window and you're waving at them and that's just kind of it
2: do you know what? It's a bit of both. And sadly, obviously, over the past year since COVID, a lot of us have been recording our shows from home and, and in the studios at different times. So we do miss each other so much. And I think what is amazing about Kiss and unlike any other place that I've worked at before, um, we are really one big family. And I know that's so cliche and, and cringe to say Um but we have the most incredible boss who is really at the helm of the entire station, the, the entire network. And she's, she's been so amazing at really bringing us all together. And everyone that works at that station is absolutely incredible. And so we haven't seen e- each other as much as we would like to have over the past year. But when things are sort of back up and running and when we're all back to our normal show times, um, we definitely take advantage of going for drinks and having big nights out. And other than that, at the minute it is sort of a wave through the window. Um, but there is always love for everyone. Um, always on that station. And there, Tyler's there,
1: really great as well. Okay, he's absolutely legendary. Now, <laughs> I, I want to know, is there a big staff party?
2: There is. Christmas is always quite big at Kiss. Um, To be honest with you, after every party that Kiss has thrown, I've always ended up sleeping in the studio that (laughs) night because you're in central London anyway. There is really no point in going home. And because I have to be in so early, it's better that I stay at the studio that night than go home and then risk not waking up in time. At least if I'm camping in the studio, um, there will be someone around that will wake me up and I'll just roll onto air and we're just cross our fingers until 11 o'clock when I'm taken off if I'm not pulled off beforehand because I've said something wildly inappropriate oh
1: but um God. yeah
2: the, the parties are always they're always wild there's always some um, stories that come off the back of those
1: yeah I can imagine now before we dive into the world of broadcasting radio and everything I just want to kind of have a chat about I don't know your earlier life before we can talk about kind of the radio because you had to get there somehow um and so you were born in North London right
2: I was. North London, born and bred. I feel like it's a place that I'll never leave Leave either. As I said, I'm, I'm buying a place and I was looking, I, I sort of somewhat looked all over the place, but then South London feels like the other side of the world and I'm like, Do you know what, I'm just going to be here until the day I die. So yeah, North London, I grew up in Southgate, Enfield, Winchmore Hill. So, and it was, yeah, you,
1: it was great. And you grew up with your mum and your sister, right? So how much do you I remember did. of that kind of like those formative years and how important it was kind of just being that kind of group and that family together?
2: I think for me, the one thing that I can take away from my childhood and the thing that I appreciate the most is the fact that I grew up quite independently. My mum was really big on giving us a lot of independence and she was really big on allowing us to make our own mistakes as well, which was really amazing. She was obviously there to guide us and, and to help us when we when we really needed it. And she was there as an incredible support system as well. But I think I can really remember, yeah, sort of figuring out a lot on my own and and i think that ultimately i really saw the benefit in that as i as i grew older as i got into those key teenagers that i i feel like she really did instill a a good foundation whereby we were sort of ready and prepared to tackle anything the world really threw at us um and i'm yeah i'm really appreciative of that and i think that's the thing that i probably take away the most from my childhood I was just very independent I was also I also grew up around a lot of adults as well um my mum has and had and still has an amazing group of friends and I was always um I kind of played the agony on I'm very very close to my mum um and I was uh, growing up as well. And so I would sort of get involved in the mothers' meetings and I would sit around the table whilst they were drinking glasses of wine. I had my little J2O and I would dish out, you know, relationship advice and I would get involved in all of the conversations. And I think that sort of set me up a little bit um, for life as well. I, I, I did grow up in quite an adult environment. And so I was exposed to, I would say, I was, I was exposed to um, some, some more adult conversations that actually really set me up really really well to sort of as I said tackle things later on in life I had quite an adult head on some young shoulders which I've definitely seen the benefit of as I've grown older
1: I think as you say it's really important as a parent to allow your child to make those mistakes themselves and Mm -hmm. have that independence obviously not from an incredibly young age but just to make them feel like that when they turn 18 it's not like total disaster you know yeah, um no, completely. I completely agree with you. I mean, but you grew up, as you were saying there, in a single parent household, which is, um, I mean, I would probably say now becoming increasingly common. Which, whichever way you want to look at it, can be beneficial or incredibly sad. How do you reflect on that, and how that shaped you? Being from a single parent household as a child, and how that shaped you.
2: I think it's very true. I mean, I remember my my parents separated when I was very young. I was five or six years old, and I actually remember even if I was just looking at my class, I think I was maybe one of two kids whose parents were separated and Now, if you look at the amount of amount of people that sort of grow up in single parent households with their parents separated, that number you know has mm. has risen tenfold so it's yeah it's it's definitely more common it was definitely less common in in my personal experience and for me I think the way that I look at it really is the face of that traditional nuclear family has changed dramatically Um, even in my lifetime sort of 23 years I mean for me I think that's a there is so much benefit to that as well and I think if I was raising children I understand how important it is for the parents in that relationship that are raising those children to be happy in order for that household to be happy and in order for those children to thrive and get the support that they really need and from in my setup in particular my parents weren't happy they weren't in a happy relationship and so me and my sister weren't getting the most out of them and we weren't in a happy environment at all and so it was a massive benefit for our parents to be separated and for us to get support outside of that nuclear family setup with two parents and, and two kids, it just made so much more sense. Um, and so I think, yeah, as long as, as long as, you know, there is a happy, healthy support system around a child, I don't think it necessarily matters that your parents are together or your parents are separated. But it definitely taught me a lot along the way, though. Um, it was incredible to sort of see my mom really, really flourish outside of a relationship. And she is one of the strongest women that I know. And, and it was amazing to see her really grow from essentially being quite broken when coming out of, you know, a relationship. She was with my dad for many, many years before me and my sister were even born. And, you know, as as many people exit a relationship or exit a marriage, you you know, it's it's very, very sad to see your parents going through something and going through that separation. But it was incredible to see how she rose out of the ashes like a phoenix and was there to support her kids and was there to build a life um, and a support system around her. So I think that's, that was probably the biggest takeaway, was really the admiration that I have for my mom being able to, you know, really, really survive that that experience and and you know so being able to support her kids primarily whilst going through something really really difficult as well um. so yeah i think that's 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 probably the biggest takeaway but i don't think that is the end of the world at all I, no. I sort of say anyone that is going through a separation anyone who you know doesn't have that traditional nuclear family set up it, it you should celebrate the things that it brings to your life and really understand that you know you don't just you don't need a mum and a dad both being in the picture to to be able to succeed later on in life, you know, as long as you're in a happy, supportive environment. I think that's what's most important.
1: Yeah. I mean something that I always reflect on and talk to a variety of people about, regardless of what you're talking about specifically with single parent mm. households or whatever is, I always say there's no set script that one should follow. Why why do we have to follow a set script? Why do some people grow up faster than others? Some are doing this at 15, but they're not, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. And th- there's no right or wrong because it's purely up for you, up to you to kind of find your own narrative and your journey.
0: And mm-hmm, I, yeah, I, think,
1: I think that's really important. Um, now, I do believe, I've, I mean, I've, we've only just met, but I believe your father's side is Jamaican. Am, am I right?
2: Yes, he is, yes.
1: So how important was it then, Growing up, you were living with your mother, but were mm-hmm. you able to access and lock in your that side, the heritage and the culture or, or on that side of the family? Or did you feel that, that there was a part missing?
2: I think it was always quite difficult. I think for... M- for my my case in particular when my parents separated I actually didn't have contact with my dad at all so it was really my mom just bringing up my sister and myself on on her own and so it was I think that is again something that I really admire is the fact that she was always really really conscious that my sister and myself knew where we came from and knew the other side to us as well which is really important and there were definitely times I think growing up I would say during I think it's that really difficult time when you really are finding yourself around Mm. the age of 13, 14, 15 um, that I sort of have experienced somewhat of a disconnection and when we're sort of looking at ourselves where we sort of we're able to identify part of ourselves that's like our mum, part of ourselves that's like our dad and then there's this sort of bit in between that I guess just makes us us it was always difficult because I could identify what came from my mum but then I couldn't really pinpoint what came from my dad and what was just a part of me what I just made up along the way so there have definitely been times where I've Struggled with identity for sure, but my uh, growing up, and especially when we were younger, my mum really, really did try to integrate as best as she could our culture and our heritage and where we came from. And my mum was also really great at teaching us about other people's cultures and teaching us the importance of, co- of culture and being able to celebrate that and how incredible that is to grow up in London in an environment where we are just exposed to so many different cultures and so many people with different heritages. I think it's, it is the greatest gift. Um, and yeah, it's something that I really enjoy celebrating now. And I have a really, really incredible, diverse friendship group. And that's sort of, that's what I value most is how everyone, you know, is, is so different, but so interconnected. We can learn so much from other people and where other people come from. And I think it's, it's really, really important to just spend some time to educate yourself as well. Um, that everyone has a past and everyone has a history. And and it's really incredible to to learn something from that as well.
1: I think identity is a really interesting one, regardless of Mm. family situation or where you've grown up in, uh, because uh, especially actually increasingly so with kind of social media and stuff and influences of other people, I think I would find it really difficult being 13, 14, 15 at this this time now growing up, because there's so many external influences trying to pull you in different directions i don't know about mm-hmm. you i mean i'd find that really difficult i mean and then think- with the with the mixture of you know for, for yourself with the, the the cultural side of things like you probably did want to learn more about it and your mother sounds like an amazing woman and she was doing the best to, of her abilities to inform you of all these cultures and what a place to grow up in london as you say so so diverse but yeah i mean that it's a tricky one all round.
2: yeah i i cannot imagine what it must be like growing up or going through school life with just the the exposure to social media nowadays. I mean, I I was at school. I feel like I'm so old. I'm only 23, but things just change so quickly and I mean, I remember being sort of 14, 15, 16 and we only really had Facebook and then Snapchat was sort of introduced and then Instagram took over and now, you know, it is just nothing like what kids sort of experience or are exposed to today and I I really am grateful for the fact that as much as you know I was very much on the cusp of social media taking over I'm really grateful that for those earlier years and in particular for those earlier teenage years I was able to grow and develop and I, I guess cover up my own sense of I, without um the you know the ways in which social media can just pull and push and, and control and really change and manipulate your own narrative and I think it is I say this sort of all the time and I've spoken about this a lot on my show in particular actually just the concept of social media we're also guilty of doing it you know when we take a picture of something to post on our Instagram for example we'll move out all of the rubbish from the frame you know and we'll just make everything look clean and perfect it doesn't mean that rubbish isn't there it's it's literally just out of shot it's really important to remember that everyone else is doing exactly the same thing and and everyone else has, you know, a certain amount of crap that they move from the frame in their day to day life. It doesn't mean that it's not there. It's just not, you know, immediately in view to the public. And it's really important to remember how similar we all are and how how we're all self-conscious in our own ways about certain things. And it doesn't matter how glossy and how perfect someone's life appears to be. You're always going to show the best version of yourself. But I do feel as though, in saying that, I do feel as though we are sort of on a turning point with social media, whereby we are embracing and we are celebrating more of the realness and we're sort of bringing forward more of what we are used to pushing behind the camera. And I actually also saw as well, um, they've now given you the option to remove likes on Instagram, which I think is amazing really? because yeah, yeah so there's right now, now. there is now a setting um, whereby you can remove your likes on Instagram, which I think is amazing because Instagram great. should be a place whereby it's just people being creative, sharing whatever they like. And it shouldn't be for, you know, it, it, we shouldn't have the pressure of appealing to other people. It should be, you know, your own CV, it should be your own space to get creative. And, and I, and I think just, you know, we're so obsessed with numbers and, and with, with the concept of, just worrying about what other people are up to and I think it you know it it shouldn't be like that and and so I do think there is sort of a turning point now that I'm I'm seeing and I really really hope that sort of continues in the future I mean it starts with us but it also you know should be a massive incentive for you know these social media platforms to be able to push from the forefront too
1: yeah definitely in fact one of the things i i kind of say something similar to what you say Mm. uh in the sense of like pulling things out of the lens i always say there's a lot more behind the behind the camera than what's in front of it and Mm. the thing that i always point out to people is i talk when love island comes around again and people talk about that being an accurate representation of reality but then you see the photo of the where they are in the world the view the, the, everything behind the scenes the cameras and then that's the stark reality of what's going on it's literally really? there for your entertainment there's no depiction of reality in there whatsoever really um yeah. and it yeah so and that's a really interesting thing about that in the instagram likes i'm definitely going to explore that because i think it's really yeah. unhealthy people become obsessed with the number of likes however i completely agree with you it's there for content creation for yourself ultimately Mm. you should Mm -hmm. use that to for yourself and and kind of share what you want to share it doesn't matter what other people think of you at the end of the day
2: no not at all I completely agree
1: talking about identity then what would you say to somebody as a piece of advice who is struggling to find themselves and struggling with identity what piece of advice would you give them
2: I think it's so important. I think identity goes hand in hand with self-worth and it's so important to know your self-worth and know how much you can bring to the table, but also know how incredible it is for you to be here right now in this specific moment in time and how much you've been through. As so I always, I think for me, one of the greatest lessons that I think I sort of learned along the way, I'm not sure anyone, anyone taught me this in particular, I think I sort of learned from experience, was that experiences that you have in life good and bad shape you as a person and they make you as a person um and i think you you have to celebrate how incredible you really are and it's so easy to you know want to sort of carbon copy or or base it, it just, just the world that we live in, it's just so easy to compare and to, to tear ourselves down. And it's, and it's awful. It's, it's really, really awful, but you are really incredible. And I think self-worth and identity, they sort of go hand in hand, um, but learn about yourself and learn about how incredible you really are. Um, learn about your heritage, learn about your history, um, take some time away as well. I think that's something that we don't do enough. Um, I think we really force socialization on ourselves and I know there is, you know, people are filled with fear of missing out, but it's really good Mm. sometimes to stay in and just get to know yourself, have a bath, watch a movie, do some cooking, do some things whereby you're really just taking time to, build that meter back up. I, I see things quite visually. And when I, I love socializing and my job is so social and I love being around people, it's the reason that I do what I do. But I do feel as though when I don't have those moments whereby I check in with myself, I see this meter of energy that just goes down and down and down. And I never want it to hit zero because when it hits zero, that's when I start to encounter some problems and my, my mind and my mental state goes into a place where I'm not happy and I'm, I'm not secure. So I like to sort of take some time away and really just get to know myself. And that builds that meter back up. And then in one or two days, I'm ready to go out and socialise once again. But I think that it's really important to just take time out. And that helps out with identity as well. You should be your own best friend. You should be comfortable sitting in a room with just yourself. And some of my greatest nights... I spend just sitting in, you know, doing absolutely nothing because I'm really content with my own company um, and that's helped out with my identity massively um, because, you know you you've always you should always feel like you've always got yourself you know no matter what um and that really helps you th- get through some of the most difficult times if you've got that trust within yourself that you can do it and you have an understanding of of who you are i think that's really important um but that coupled with not worrying about what other people have to say you know not worrying about what other people are doing as well my my industry is filled with imposter syndrome. Mm. um And it's filled with people, unfortunately, feeling as though there isn't space for everyone. And that's just not the case. As I said, you need to have an understanding that you have something really, really special and really unique to bring to the table in any industry and in in any scenario that you may find yourself in. So just know know your self-worth. That's really important.
1: I feel like you definitely got the podcast brief. No, I love it. No, that's really, really insightful. I couldn't agree more with that, actually. Physical and mental well being are so important and come hand in hand. I'm incredibly proud to be sponsored by the CBD brand, The Good Level, who have well being at the very forefront of what they do as a company and a brand. They offer CBD oils, balms, and jellies, all of which are full spectrum and extracted by a cold press. Their oils are all made with extra virgin olive oil from Kalamata and that makes them so much tastier than any other that I've tried before. Their balms have a fantastic smell as well and are great to use on your skin or any pain you're experiencing. And of course their jellies taste so great for any sweet tooths. They also have a commitment to sustainability, pledging to plant at least 500 trees every year along with ensuring all their packaging is recyclable. So if you want to check The Good Level out, go to their Instagram page at the.good.level where you can find out all about their products. And if you'd like a discount, feel free to use Headstrong15 at checkout on their website. Before we kind of carry on talking about kind of childhood and school, because that's the avenue I want to go down next, I do just want to talk about when you take some time out for yourself then. So when you do start feeling low and what, what are your techniques then to kind of help you build yourself up and actually put yourself first? Because as you say, we live in a social world now where you expend so much energy on others for their gratification and you forget about yourself. So what do you mm-hmm. do other than kind of just giving yourself time? What else do you do to kind of give yourself that, that special mode, like time to you know, revitalize?
2: Mm-hmm. I think I'm, in a stage in my life whereby I'm really enjoying setting boundaries, and that can be a really really scary thing. Um, and I completely appreciate that. But I think boundaries are really really important in any relationship, whether it's a romantic relationship, whether it's a parent child relationship, whether it's friendships. It's really important for people to really understand what your boundaries are, um, and anyone in any relationship that you have, if if they really really want the best for you they should support your boundaries and they should accept them as long as you know if they have an understanding that you're explaining that is what you need right now and my friends and my family are really really great at understanding when I need time off and when I need time away and it's it can be really difficult to have those conversations particularly in friendship groups as well um I know, you know, I've, I've certainly been in situations and it's taken me a really, really long time to build up that clear line of communication, that comfortable line of communication, whereby I can turn around to my friends and say, Do you know, what, I'm not going to be able to make it tonight. And I'm not going to lie and give an excuse about it. I'm going to say, you know, what, I've had the busiest week and I just want to sit in and I just want to take some time out and I just need time to recharge because I'm exhausted after working a week you don't necessarily you shouldn't feel like you need to give an excuse um and yeah I think for me as much as it is about taking that time out it's also about having that clear line of communication with anyone that you have in in your life to really set your own standard and you know you should be able to carve out the life that you want to live um and the people around you should be able to be there to support you in able to do that and I, I think for me clear communication is key talking is key um, and and that includes having uncomfortable situations and sometimes when you are setting boundaries those conversations be uncomfortable at first but once you have set those boundaries that communication just flows it, it just becomes you know very very natural and I think that yeah as I said I'm at a stage in my life I'm still not perfect at it um, I still find myself wanting to make excuses or feeling guilty but ultimately I've sort of learned you should never feel guilty about you know taking care of yourself um, equally as well I, I, this is something that I've learned over the past few years in particular Taking time out um, shouldn't be as a reward for doing something. So you shouldn't, you know, just whether whether it be booking a massage or booking a facial or having a really nice bath or taking some time out or booking a little, you know, staycation away that shouldn't be as a result of doing really well at work or you should just be rewarding yourself with these little things every single day just because it's difficult you know we all go we all go through the ups and downs of life and so you know it is really about those little things that you should be doing every day just to make sure that you're you know you're you're really rewarding yourself for just getting through life day to day because it can be really difficult and in the past year you know we've we've lived in a time that has been like no other time in you know the history of civilization. Mm-hmm. so it is about you know it's not just about the self care sundays it's about self care really every day in. yeah it should be about self care every day and doing those little things that you know really allow you to reconnect with yourself
1: it's always it's about a matter of finding something that can fit into your routine that still gives Mm. you that time like i know a lot of people that you know get up an hour earlier from work before work not to go to the gym not to do anything but actually just to have an hour to themselves and just actually Mm -hmm. do whatever they want for that hour be that meditation or actually exercise or just you know just chilling out you know like sometimes you just there are not enough hours in the day to sit down and do what you want to do so you need to make sure that you have the time to do what you want to do
2: it's so true. I think people are really scared as well of their own headspace. Um, we are just so filled with stimulants constantly um, that people are kind of scared to sit in silence now. Um and I actually find the most comfortable relationships that I have, me and my best friend, when we meet up, we are very comfortable to just sort of sit there in our own silence. And and that's really, it's really nice. And I'm very comfortable to sort of sit at home now in my own silence is why well. I really enjoy that, that sort of clarity to just really think and just really enjoy the, the sort of environment and the situation that you're in without having to be stimulated by the TV or social media or scrolling through our phones. It's just nice to sort of, just relax and just, you know, soak in the atmosphere.
1: Yeah, I agree. There's a lot of white noise. And as you mm. say, a lot of stimulus. Um, and actually, there, I, I always say that there's probably two different types of silence. You know, that, there's that one where you are like, I don't really know you. And now this is all good because I don't know what we're saying. And then there's that comfortable silence where you're just mates over there or whoever it is. And like, you don't need to say anything because you know, you're just content. And that's the word yeah. I would use. And it's that's that's really nice. It's a very pleasurable experience. It is. Now, I'm going to get back on track. I want to talk about school. (laughs) I know. No, no, but it's really good because that's exactly what Headstrong is capturing, talking about mindset and your kind of approach and how important it is kind of in everyone's lives. But it's interesting to hear your perspective and approach. But yes, school. Now, did you see school as a formality or did you actually enjoy it?
2: I think it was a bit of both for me um I sort of talk about my I guess my secondary school experience just because I can <laughs> remember that the most uh primary school as the years go by sort of becomes a bit of a blur which is so unfortunate um but yeah I mean I think it was a bit of both I, I had a really I had and I still have again to this day the most incredible group of friends me and my best friend we are like soul sisters we were you know We we are convinced that we were somewhat separated at birth. Uh, We've been friends for, must be coming up to 12 years now. Um, And she was so much a part of my my secondary school experience. Um, And we had some great times together. We still reminisce to this day. There were definitely times that were difficult. Um, I think I particularly struggled with that period of time whereby you're really forced to think about your future. And I think... That is happening. Um, at a young, we're expected to know what we want to do with the rest of our life at a younger and younger age now, which is really, really scary. Um, and I remember struggling with that in particular, but there were definitely some incredible times. Um, For sure, yeah, some memories that will sort of live with me forever. I actually it didn't make it into the documentary, but I actually got the opportunity to go back to my secondary school um, in the dock and speak to a couple of my teachers. And that was amazing just to sort of take a walk down memory lane. And all of those sort of, I was very much reminded of all of those fears and all of those concerns that I had about the future. But it was amazing to sort of stand there um, as a mirror image of the future right now, me, me standing there in, in the present um, and seeing really how far I'd come and really realising that you just never know what is round the corner. That was quite a, quite a surreal
1: experience. Well, speaking of that then and thinking about the future, when did kind of media and broadcasting or when did you show an interest in media and broadcasting?
2: I think for me, I often look back, and I get this question a lot: Did I always want to do what I what I do now? Um, what I'm so blessed to be able to do now? And I think there were definitely signs along the way. My grandparents. Um, looked after me a lot growing up when my mum was out at work and I remember they would always have the newspaper on the kitchen table and I would sit and I would read articles from the newspaper to my nan like a newsreader and she'd make me do it over and over and over again <laughs> um, And it was quite fun I enjoyed it so I guess that is somewhat similar to what um, I do now but I had a real interest in people I love talking to people I was to, actually to be fair if I actually think even younger so around this time i'm talking around the, the age of like seven eight nine but as a child as a young child i was actually mute, so i didn't speak whatsoever um i would only speak i, I would only speak around my mum or around my sister um around really close members of my family but at nursery no one ever heard me speak so much so that they were going to send me to speech therapy um so yeah, if I was thinking really, really early on, I don't think anyone would have expected me to do what I'm doing now. But yeah, as I as I got a little bit older, I really, really enjoyed connecting with people. Um, and I loved, again, connecting with people from all different walks of life. Um, and so I'm really blessed to be able to do what I do now because I, I get to speak to some incredible people on a massive, massive platform and me sort of moving into the documentary space now, I hope will enable me to sort of travel and and you know really get to put some incredible people and some incredible stories onto a platform um that makes you know that makes those stories accessible to all
1: okay you're interested in broadcasting there then so when did it become a reality that it could be a career and a profession for you
0: um
1: do you remember that first phone call because i i have read about you kind of like (laughs) winging it you know fake it till you make it and then lo and behold you're doing it and you're like oh shit yeah. how I get here
2: yeah that is my um i think that is my life mantra it is sort of fake it till you make it wing it um i so let me think back i actually left school just before i left sixth form just before my final exams just cuz i was really really struggling and and it was really difficult because my school was really great but they were also you know, they could see that I was very capable of getting into a really, really great university. And so I think they were sort of pushing me down that academic route. And that was just something that I didn't want to do. And I think it all sort of came to a head just before my final exams. And I and that was one of the first moments in my life where I really prioritised my mental health um, because I wasn't happy and I had an understanding that if I wasn't happy, then I wouldn't be able to succeed in anything that, you know, I would that was put before me whether it be exams whether it be me going off to university whether it be me going to get a job I really really needed to shift my focus for that moment in time and just figure out what it was that made me happy and what it was that I wanted to do um, and so I left school I think it was like January and my my exams are in May um, just before sixth form. And it was really difficult because a lot of my friends went to university. And so I was sort of left in London on my own without that security blanket um, and that safety net of further education. I also didn't have any A-levels at that point either. And so I really was left to my own devices to figure out what it was that I wanted to do. And I had that sort of additional pressure of not wanting that time out to feel like it was a regret or a mistake um and so I went out and I actually started working on the sets of different music videos which was really interesting and that was sort of where my passion for entertainment and music um and tv as well really came about and I met some amazing people I actually met some of great greatest friends have today um, off of different sets and various projects that I got involved in back then. Um, and then I went, met one one friend of mine, King, who is an absolute angel, and we just hit it off from the get-go. And we just decided to just film ourselves doing these silly little skits in my bedroom, um, presenting different shows and different formats and um, talking about things that were in the news, talking about music, just talking about the things that we really enjoyed. And I ended up putting together a show showreel. And I went down to different production companies, different radio stations, Kiss included, um, (laughs) different TV channels, and I just gave them, it was like a Vimeo link to this showreel that I I made myself. Um, And I think I bribed a couple of receptionists to just try and get it upstairs to the relevant person. And then I think it was about, three months later I got an email in my inbox um, from someone at channel four from four music um offering me to come in to do a little screen test and they said oh do you have experience in cue?" and obviously I lied and I said yeah I've never seen an autocue in my life so I turned (laughs) up and I you know did what they wanted me to do and then as I got off the train traveling home um and I got Reception again on my phone, I got an email to say we 'd love to have you and I ended up um, hosting it was live TV as well, so I threw myself completely oh my in at the defense word. It was live TV it was Monday to Thursday, I think um, after school it was like an hour and a half show um every day it was a it was a food segment that I first hosted I think I hosted the food segment for like six weeks and then they said okay we want you as one of our main presenters now and so it was incredible experience um to learn live on tv how to read auto cue and you know how to really manage the world of presenting and the world of tv um but then from that I got Kiss um which was amazing and I I never expected I never expected to go into radio um Or or to walk into a show um, that had such a massive following and such a you know it's it was a massive slot it was a breakfast slot that I took over I actually took over from Ricky Melvin and Charlie who were Mm. the presenters that I listened to growing up they were I think they were on on air for 10 11 years before I took over um, and I do remember I've I screen tested a, a, a couple of times and not screen tested I, I guess I did a couple of demos at kiss a couple of times and I wasn't told what show I was going to do at all um, and then me and my manager um, we we went in for a final meeting and we just got a piece of paper slid across the table saying yeah you're gonna be taking over the breakfast show sure, and he kicked. Me so hard under the table. I think we were just sort of went white in the face, shell shocked. And we actually didn't accept the job offer straight away. We tried to keep our cool. And you know, when you receive some sort of news and you just walk, I remember us I just walking around central London and I think I. I panic-bought, it was around Christmas time, I panic-bought a jar of brandy butter that is still collecting dust to this day. Um, I think we were, we ended up walking around Fortnum and Mason, which is just around the corner, to yeah. kiss, and I felt obliged to buy something because we were walking around talking for so long. Um, but, yeah, I will, I will keep that, actually. I think... Um, that that, bra- that jar of brandy butter will hold a, a special place in my heart. I have no use for it whatsoever, and I think I pay an extortionate price. Um, but yeah, that was that was one to remember for sure.
1: Oh, uh, that, is a, that is a really, really great story as well. And also talk about throwing yourself in at the deep end, doing live TV <laughs> yeah. for an hour and a half. I mean... An hour and a half. Don't I take know. any prisoners there. Jeez. No. no I love that. Now, I'm, something that I want to talk to you about with Kiss, before we talk about your TV documentary is as you say, Kiss has a massive, massive following. And it's one of those shows that has literally millions of people listening. Are you aware of that yourself? Like when you're doing it, do you not ever have like a pinch yourself moment where you're like, I, what I say can influence people, what I say can inform these people and change the direction of their lives. Sometimes, you know, are Mm -hmm. you aware of that? And do you have those moments?
2: For sure. I'm, I'm definitely aware of, how blessed i am to be in the position to reach so many people and that ultimately does really influence what i talk about on air as well because it's important that we you know spotlight and and we really give a platform to to talk to to certain people but to certain causes that really can make a massive difference um to anyone that is is listening in but i think if I thought about how many people were really listening to my show every single day, that would terrify me. You do, you know, it is funny because as much as you are aware of it and as much as it does sort of influence what you are talking about on air, because it's an early morning show and because ordinarily it is just me and my producer in a room together, you forget that you're on air at all sometimes. And that can mean that, you can become very, very loose-lipped (laughs) and you can sort of end up talking a load of rubbish for a significant amount of time because you do have sort of a disconnect with the fact that you are really reaching people. There are really people listening in on the school run or on their way to work. And it is, you sort of do get those pinch me moments when you get phone calls into the show um, and there is someone on the other end sort of referencing something that you've spoken about on air um, that morning. Those are really pinch me moments. And and it is the thing I love most about that show. Of course, we play, you know, non-stop new beats as the tagline says but the thing that i enjoy the most is that interaction with our audience it is just you know unmatched it is it is like not only within you know within kiss as a brand with the presenters and the people that work there they are incredible and they're a family but it really does feel like our listeners and you know the people that choose to tune in to that station every morning they are sort of a part of our family as well we all have similar interests and we all we all are just connected uh, in a in a really strange time in the morning whereby it's stressful and it's busy and um it's amazing to be able to you know service that and to make people's mornings just a little bit easier we all you know we're all used to waking up and having a really really terrible morning it's so amazing that you know someone is optionally tuning in to the sound of my voice and if i can make one person's day a little bit better um then I've done my job. But I think it's also about being really candid on air as well. You know, as much as I'm meant to be a motivating force, it is, it is really nice to be able to be given the space to sometimes wake up and say, you know, what, I'm so tired this morning or, Do you know what, I'm not feeling that great. So you know, this this is the reality you are, of You life. want to be
1: relatable, don't you? You want to be for a sure. true representation of who you are, not just come in every single day just being this bright personality. Because that's not natural yeah. anyway. It's no not. one is like that. Everyone has their it's off not. days, their tired days, whatever. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that, actually. Yeah. Now, here we are. You have recently finished uh, filming uh, a documentary for the BBC, which is incredibly exciting. Now, I want you to sell me this documentary. This is an elevator pitch. You've got 30 seconds. Tell me what it's about and why I should watch it.
2: Oh my goodness. Well, it was quite difficult documentary to film because the things that we were documenting are things that happen when there is no one else around in the middle of the night. It was incredible. It's about my own journey with insomnia, um, but it's also about other people's journeys with insomnia and, and different sleep related disorders. I think the main takeaway that I hope People take away from from this doc is I hope that the the, the stigma surrounding sleep related disorders is really really broken down because they can affect people's lives um, significantly. And I think the thing that surprised me the most was the mass links between sleep related disorders and mental health as well. There is a clear correlation between the two. It's sort of like a chicken and an egg scenario. We don't really know what came first um so yeah as I said it's about my own journey figuring out how the reason why I've lived with insomnia for so long the trigger um to my insomnia um but also about hopes and plans for the future which is really refreshing because it was something that I thought I was going to have to live with for the rest of my life. I was, you know, I sort of made peace with the fact that this was almost a personality trait of mine, but it was affecting my life in so many ways, in so many negative ways. Um, And so beyond anything, I think what was so nice as we concluded filming, there is just such a sense of hope that has been restored for me personally, but also for the people that we spoke to as well. And, And I really hope that, you know, if there is anyone watching it that is, has been suffering, um, that they have an understanding that there is definitely help out there. I mean, as I said, if, if I can get help and if I can sort of change my attitude um, towards, you know, the hopes for the future um, and hopes that I will be able to combat this in the future, if my attitudes can be changed, then anyone else's can because I was very, very stubborn and very, very set that this was just something that, you know, I had to live with. These were the cards that I had been dealt, but, you know, everyone has, has you know, is, is deserving of help and there is help out there for everyone
1: for sure. Now, I don't want to spoil the documentary. Um, and I don't want to talk about the content of it in great detail, but I do feel like there are kind of some fundamental questions that I want to ask you for sure. So when did you first start to experience insomnia or just sleep deprivation?
2: I'm quite an interesting case because I first started experiencing insomnia at the age of nine so it was very very young um, and I've obviously dealt with it for a really long time and so that's why I guess it did feel like somewhat of a personality trait to me I'm I I am more used to living life with insomnia than without Um, and that can make getting help almost a a scary scenario to walk into uh, because you are really walking into the unknown at that point Um, so yeah it's, it's been a while and for me i think i saw the most benefit um when i really identified the triggers to my insomnia and those triggers can come from all different places they can come from the the, some of the people that we met they came from exam stresses um some most recently came from lockdown i mean cases of insomnia and sleep related Mm. disorders have skyrocketed it's so shocking and it and it particularly in particular affects young people in that age bracket of 16 to 24 um and there isn't one quick fix that helps all um different things will work for different people but I really found that talking therapy um actually really helped for me and when when I sort of figured out that root cause um I did I have seen since a, a massive um a massive increase in the amount of hours that I'm getting each night which is just great (laughs) so great I'm someone that is very used to running on four hours um but sometimes as little as 30 minutes sleep so it was really I had a really really chronic case um but it's nice to see some movement in those numbers for the first time ever um for as long as I can remember
1: so you talk about that verbal strategy there then so you're Mm -hmm. talking to somebody openly about your experiences what you what's going on probably your thought process as well What other activities and strategies have you been made aware of, but most notably what has worked for you other than talking to somebody?
2: So there's a really practical therapy. This is called CBTI therapy, which I was actually introduced to, um, by Ruin, who was someone that we spoke to who also suffers with insomnia. And that is all about tracking your sleep and it's all about practicing good sleep hygiene. Um, so it's a very practical way of looking at sleep. Um, and it is about manipulating the numbers and the amount of sleep that you're getting Mm. each night and the time that you're going to bed. Um, and that, I think it's, I believe that it's the only therapy that is regarded at the minute, uh, medically to help out people that suffer with insomnia. Mm -hmm. Um, and it has some incredible results and I've definitely, it's something that I still do to this day. um, and I've definitely seen the benefit of doing so. But of course there are, there are so many other things that um, you can do to help out um, your sleep. I think that the thing that really affects people the most, anyone that sort of suffers with insomnia is that anxiety and those negative thoughts and feelings that you can have towards your bedroom in general um your bedroom and my bedroom in particular turns into a really really scary place at night i really enjoy spending time in my bedroom in the daytime um but at nighttime it's it's a place that i i tend to avoid so little things like you know scented candles and pillow sprays and lighting all of those things can really really help i guess minimize the anxiety um, and keep you in your room for longer making that room feel like it's a safe space Um, and that can ultimately have a knock-on effect to how well you 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 have how well you get to sleep at night as well so there are many many different things that work for different people i would say mine i've seen benefits the most benefits with a mixture of all of them together but for me personally that talking therapy, sitting down with the therapist is, uh, I've seen the biggest benefit. And that was a scary process because I've been in therapy before and it was something that I did not enjoy at all. Um, But I think that was definitely one of the biggest hurdles I think I overcame in the documentary was my fear of really talking to someone and welcoming someone in. Um, But I've seen massive benefits to it for sure.
1: And that's another thing, but just with mental health in general, it's very liberating to talk about things it's very important to realize that you don't need to keep everything locked in your head the whole time you are allowed to get things out there and talk about it so i suppose in that similar breath then did insomnia have an effect on your mental health
2: it did completely and i as i said it's quite difficult to pinpoint what came first um Mm. and we sort of looked at different scientific studies as well that showed people that suffer with different mental health disorders just you know as a byproduct suffer with insomnia as well and and sort of vice versa so it is difficult to pinpoint but absolutely um i was previously in therapy when i was around 14 years old um i was diagnosed with depression and it was something i hated being in therapy it was in fact i almost look back at my time in therapy as an additional traumatic experience um it was awful. And it wasn't, it wasn't voluntary at that point. And I think for me, I had a really, really skewed idea that therapy me speaking to someone else was me handing over control. And And so it took a long, yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm. Um, And it felt like, I I guess, because I had such a bad experience previously um, which made me feel very, very out of control of my own body and my own emotions and my own decisions. I thought that opening up to any therapist in the future would make me feel the same way. And that's just not the case. You know, there are so many different therapists out there. There are so many different options. And I think it really starts with having an understanding that therapy can bring so much into your life and it's not a weakness at all. In fact, it's a massive sign of strength and understanding, um, you know, one of the biggest signs of strength is having an ability to, you know, put your hand up and say, do you know what, I need a bit of help with this. Um, There is always someone out there for you to talk to. Um, And so, you know, that there is, it's just completely unnecessary for us to just be sitting in a negative space, dealing with our thoughts on our own, um, I've I've massively seen the benefits of of opening up to someone else and just having someone else interject. Even if you look at it as you know talking to a friend, that's the that's the relationship that I've now developed with the therapist that I'm talking to. It is just opening up to a friend, and it's not that they're sitting on any moral high ground. It's not that they're sitting there assessing me or boxing me in or coming up with a diagnosis. It's just that they're giving their perspective on my situation. I think because. Because I had avoided therapy for so long, I tended to therapize myself. Um, But we can only do that to a certain extent. Um, Mm. We can only hold ourselves accountable to a certain extent. Because when things get tricky, when we're not going to push ourselves into a place, we can sort of stop the conversation there. Sometimes you need someone to interject, to push you a little bit further, to allow you to see things from a different perspective. Um, And that really is the benefit of therapy. You should never feel boxed in. You should just feel as though you are just reaching out to someone to see things from a different perspective
1: yeah you've absolutely hit the nail on the head though in in regards Mm. to therapy i definitely agree with you there now This documentary is, of course, a positive experience and huge benefits have come out of it. Uh, As you say, talking to people about their experiences and actually sharing these stories is going to benefit a whole load of other people that are going to be able to watch the show. So huge congrats on it. I hope it goes really, really well. and that The reception is glorious. Um, Ultimately, (laughs) what I want to know, finally, on kind of insomnia is, do you think that your experience with insomnia has actually made you a stronger person?
2: Absolutely, and I'm I'm very much someone that believes that both good and bad experiences they they don't make up who you are, um, uh, you know, but uh, but I I genuinely think that they help to shape you into the person that you are today. And absolutely, uh, you know, I I say I as much as I don't enjoy living with insomnia, and I haven't done so for the past twelve, thirteen years it's definitely made me stronger and it's shaped me as a person and it's made me more resilient. And, you know, it is a struggle, but it's one that I've been given because I'm capable to, you know, be able to push through it. And, and it, just doing this documentary has brought about, I never expected to get out what what I have now got out of this documentary at all I didn't even think it was a point of interest um we discussed many things um to document many different topics that we wanted to make documentaries about. This was something that came up in a conversation over coffee. Um, as I said, I described it as a personality trait. And so when it was the topic that we decided to make a documentary out of, it blew my mind that anyone would be interested in it. I thought it was genuinely something that I solely experienced. So it was incredible to see how many other people also experience the same thing. And so I really hope that it does it really strips away that sort of isolation that is tied to insomnia with people that are suffering, thinking that they are the only ones out there that are dealing with this. Cause that's absolutely not the case. There is a massive community that we can all learn and we can all get support from.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree. There's always there's a support network out there for almost everything and anything yeah. and talking about your experiences will get you to that. that safe. That yeah. place, that safe place. Look, Daisy, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. There's one question though, that I ask every guest, Um, at the end of every show uh, at the end of every podcast what does the word headstrong mean to you Hmm. Mm.
2: headstrong me what does headstrong mean to me I think it means being just completely unapologetic for who you are and really just sticking up and standing up for what you believe in it is just all about resilience and just being completely comfortable and unapologetic for how you want to live your life who you want to love um and what you want to do with it
1: lovely i really like that Um, look thank you so much for coming on i really appreciate it um i wish you all the very best um with the success of the documentary and its reception and of course what the year entails um so and i hope you manage to get away at some point as well
2: i know fingers crossed thank you so much for having me it's been incredible
1: oh thank you it's great to have teamed up with the Good Level, a British CBD company who share a similar ethos to that of Headstrong. The Good Level co-founders, Joe and Johnny, believe in CBD as it's helped them and their families with their physical and mental well-being. Whether that's using their balms to recover from physical exercise or using their oils to manage stress and anxiety or to get a better night's sleep. The Good Level has well-being at the very centre of their brand. As we've partnered up with them for this season, you can get a 15% discount off all their orders using Headstrong15 at checkout. And if you're not sure about CBD yet, no worries. Joe and Johnny are always happy to chat and answer all your questions. You can contact them via their website or check out their Instagram at the.good.level. And that's headstrong15 at checkout and that concludes episode one of season six thank you so much to daisy for joining me on headstrong i really enjoyed having that conversation and indeed learning a lot more about where daisy's come from who she is what she stands for and specifically learning about insomnia something that i was very uneducated on i can thoroughly recommend watching her documentary on the BBC. It's absolutely brilliant and very eye-opening as well to hear other people's experiences. Join me next week for another episode of Headstrong. Until then though, I hope you have enjoyed this episode and I will see you next week. If you did enjoy it, please do leave a review, a rating and subscribe. It all helps.